Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about our favorite anime composers. Because let's be honest here, anime has some incredible music. Like the type of soundtrack that you are more than happy to just play in the background as you exercise, as you work, as you do chores, or whichever. I actually like to use uh, anime soundtracks to write because I think it really sets the mood and the atmosphere if I choose the right soundtrack. But uh, in that case, we today we do want to celebrate the people who are responsible for a lot of these music that have made a big, big impact to the story, as well as to our own lives, just, you know, entertainment wise and enjoyment wise. So I believe I'm the one who is kicking off the episode today because Agnes was the one who started off last week. So we always go in a cycle. So in this case, I'm going to go first, which my first pick is might be generic and people might roll their eyes at it but I do think I, I do just need to talk about him it's Takanashi-san who uh, won our Anime Trendy Awards for best soundtrack uh, around two or three three now three years ago for specifically in his case he won it for Zombieland Saga but I don't think enough could be said about how powerful his music was in Naruto because that's definitely where he gained his fame. I've seen people online to this day who are like, I don't really like Naruto, but I would be lying to say if the soundtrack did not make an impact on me, especially character themes like Itachi's theme, which is extraordinarily like you hear it and you know that's referring to Itachi or the Pain's arc and the music that went along with it. I noticed that Takanashi-san has some particular characteristics in his music. For one, he really likes to use traditional Japanese instruments, such as, you know, wooden flutes, which sounds different from the normal flutes, and then specifically drums, like taiko drums, I think, which is present a lot in Naruto, but they actually show up in a lot of his other work, like... Uh, Taisho Ultimate Fairy Tale, which was a fairly recent anime, which was really cute. Uh, it's very fluffy and fairy tale esque. It's a cute love story back in the Taisho era, but he was responsible for the soundtrack for that. And in there, he also used a lot of ch- traditional Japanese instruments. And I am overall just a sucker for traditional instruments, whether it's traditional Japanese instruments, traditional Chinese instruments you know, medieval instruments. I think they just sound really interesting. I think there's something unique about them that really does sound very to the times. And I don't know why and if, and like what, what came first, you know, is it because they are from that era and that's why my brain associates that way? Or is it because of something else that my brain associates that way? I never know, but I really like it when composers use those traditional uh, instruments and he uses a lot of them in his music and uh that's something i always really like listening to especially when the drums come in oh the beat is so good and catchy no matter what it just hypes me up immediately especially any of his naruto ones where it's like going onto the battle and the drums start i'm just like yeah yeah i'm ready i'm ready to march yeah. too <laughs> so, um of course takanashi san is an absolute gem as well we were very fortunate to be able to give him an official plaque slash award for his win in Zombieland Saga. So uh, so he has given us a lot of attention on social media, which we are eternally grateful for. And 
you know, hopefully he'll win another one because he certainly is trying to and gunning for it. But that being said, I guess out of, I know you two have definitely heard his work from Zombieland Saga, from Taisho Otome Fairy Tale, from Naruto Without Question. What do you guys think of his, you know, soundtracks and his composing? Yeah, for sure. I really like his Naruto soundtrack. That obviously stood out to me as a child as well. And, you know, to this day, no one can really forget about the sounds that he combines. Um, and like you said, that fighting rock theme kind of, I th- found it interesting that he would combine those kind of traditional Japanese sounds like the shamisen or something and then combine it with rock guitar and somehow it works and even during that time right so I'm just amazed that he's able to combine that and that kind of became you know the sound of for ninjas really because of Naruto and building on that I watched a little bit of Boruto so I think also the sounds in Boruto are also very they're nostalgic in in the sense that they kind of you know built off of what naruto was but in boruto it's kind of a new sound as well yeah he kind of modernized it with instruments like different instruments and stuff yeah (laughs) exactly yeah that's but yeah that's what i think about him it's um really nice to hear his sounds i haven't seen taisho so i would like to see that maybe just listen to the sounds of that what about zombie land saga because that's actually the one that i haven't seen but you know he won for (laughs) Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I can't say um, anything. Oh, you haven't? Okay. I guess, okay. have you seen that or like, you know, listened to the Zombie Land soundtracks at all? I watched a good chunk of it before my interest got derailed because I got busy with other things. Um, but I do have to. Did he help compose the insert songs that each of the zombie girls sing? I think he, yeah, he's involved with the insert songs. I obviously didn't write the lyrics per se, but uh, with the insert songs and then the actual soundtrack in the background as well. Okay, because then I can definitely vouch that it was pretty good. Like you, it's, they're all very distinct to each of the zombie girls. Um, the one that I really like was the Enka singer one. Oh, that's um, him. Yeah, it, that's, that's him. Yeah, that's over, definitely yeah. his work. Like very like traditional Japanese music with the taiko drums and stuff like that. And I think he might have written the rap portion of the Zombieland saga that's shown, I think, in episode two or three, which is very memorable. And it's very cool to listen to. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that he actually wrote. Yeah, because I, I was under the impression, or I do know, because he has said it in his tweet when he first won, he was like, oh, I'm not responsible for the lyrics, you know, sort of thing. But... Oh, he's not responsible for the lyrics. Okay, in that case, maybe he was responsible for some of the other insert songs then. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, it's it's his ability to combine the traditional uh, instruments with very rock, which is much more associated with modern times music. I it's just I don't know how he does it, but he does a really good job of it, and I think he does a really good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just looked it up his profile, and apparently he's really big into like heavy rock and hard rock. Mm-hmm, yeah, and so that really explains why you can hear it in like the the Naruto tracks and the Boruto tracks, and then some of the other stuff like Fairy Tale and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Fairy Tale, I think he used uh like oh, gosh, there is the the wooden flute, and then there's. It's like one of the stringed instruments. I I only know I know like my Chinese stringed instruments. I don't know the Japanese one, but that's another one that mm-hmm. he utilized a lot in Taisho Otome Fairy Tale, which obviously works because when we think of stringed instruments, we tend we tend to think of romantic settings, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so the fact that he utilized that, but from an era that was also the story took place in the past, I think just put the cherry on top in regards to forming the atmosphere and sort of lending to the story it was trying to tell. But yeah, I think, uh, Isabel, something you said that, like, it didn't even occur to me, but you said that how he kind of 
form the sound of ninjas. I was like, honestly, I think you're right. Because whenever people think of ninjas or I even just AMVs of like ninjas and stuff, if it's if they're not using a lyrical song and they're using like a co- composition, it tends to be a Naruto soundtrack. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can't deny it at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, hopefully we'll get to see Takanashi, you know, uh, Takanashi get nominated more times because he is pretty dedicated to the Naruto series itself, which makes sense. That was definitely his rise to fame. And we cannot nominate him for stuff from long running series like Naruto because that is not within our anime trending brand. So, uh, but he he is obviously he is obviously very much working on other stuff. Oh yeah, uh, Agnes, you watched the first episode of Record of Ragnarok. I think he did the soundtrack for that as well. I hardly remember Record of Ragnarok. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't vouch for that one. Okay, okay, got it. Well, anyway, so that was my first pick. So I'm going to move on to my second pick, which is actually, I didn't associate a name with it. I first learned the soundtrack, or I first fell in love with the soundtrack of an anime, and then I learned the name, and then I realized this person is responsible for so many amazing music. But my second composer I would like to give a spotlight to is Masaru Yokoyama. And the partic- oh, you, you sniped one of mine. Okay. Oh, really? You did. Oh. Yeah, but for a, different, for a different recognition for that. But that's good because I was, I had three. So the good thing that you snipe uh, Yoko Yama-san. So. Okay, okay. Were you picking it from the same anime as me or no? I don't think so okay. because you didn't watch this one. Okay. You know I talked about it. Okay, okay. So... I yeah, so I did so I fell in love with Fruits Baskets music, namely when the snow melts and spring comes. Oh my gosh, just hearing that piece makes me really, really emotional and just feel something in like the pit of my stomach. It it's it's actually really incredible how easily it elicits an emotion for me. And so after I fell in love with Fruits Baskets music, I was like, huh, who is the soundtrack composer? And I found out it was Master Yokoyama. And then I was like, huh, I think I know him. I recognized him because he was the composer for Astro Lost in Space, which was second place the year that Astro Lost in Space had been released. Our anime training community really liked the soundtrack there and um, and voted Astro Lost in Space uh, Astro Lost in Space into second place for soundtrack. But then I was looking at his full list of things and I was like, oh, oh, this guy does a lot of the anime of like that is known for their music. For example, one of the easiest ones I can point out is Your Line April. He is responsible Mm -hmm. for the soundtrack for that. And then on top of that, Plastic Memories, which I know is an anime that most people found sad, but ultimately kind of mediocre. But if there was one thing I was hearing from people was, oh my God, was the soundtrack good? And he's responsible for that as well. And then there's also, he also did uh, Sirius the Jaeger, which I really liked the soundtrack for that one. I remember that one because I specifically would listen to it sometimes when I was writing because it hits a lot of the right atmospheres that I was going for. So I was like, oh, he's responsible for that one as well. And so uh, for some of the more current ones, he also did Horimiya for, uh, for this year, which I admittedly don't remember too much of Horimiya's music so uh so that's not one that stood out to me per se but 
I don't know if any of you guys remember Occultic Nine. It was an original anime, and it started off really interesting and intriguing, and then it sort of fell down the wayside, which is unfortunately a common occurrence now for original anime. But I do. But the reason why I remember Occultic Nine is not just because of the how the story went in their. in the trajectory of it, I do remember the music and being like, wow, this music is insanely good. Well, surprise, surprise, he is also the soundtrack composer for that. And some of the other ones I'll read off real quick is Scum's Wish, which was also an amazing one, and Nobunaga Concerto. So he's got, he's an A-list soundtrack composer. He's got a full list of anime under his belt that he did an amazing job on. And so now I'm like, he's definitely up there now of my favorites. It's sad that it took until Fruits Basket for me to even look up the name, but I'm really glad I did because obviously Your Line April uh, soundtrack was incredible. And considering that the entire anime is associated with playing instruments, namely the piano and the violin, to not to botch the soundtrack would be very, very bad for the story. And he certainly elevated it with his music and stuff. And so... It's just, it is really, really incredible of all the stuff he does. And I hope that he becomes more of a household name and hopefully he'll be able to win one of our soundtrack awards as well because he's been nominated several times now, but he hasn't quite got the win yet. So that is my second spotlight. So I'm really curious now, Agnes, which, well, I I have a guess because I have the full list of like his work, but what anime was it that made you add his name on the list? The first one would be from Iron Blood Orphans. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> but there's a second one that you didn't watch. And that one is Fate Apocrypha, which also has a very oh, nice soundtrack. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. So uh, so I'm guessing Iron Blood is first because that one's the older one. Yes. Yes. It's the one that you hear the theme and you feel like you want to support these poor kids as they go on a patriotic suicide mission to free the colony from their predecessors. <laughs> It's really invoking that emotion of like, we can form a rebellion, like we can do anything for the main theme. And every time I hear it, my blood just starts pumping and I start getting like really invigorated by listening to that. I mean, that's when you know the soundtrack is effective, you know? It's, abs- yeah. it's fantastic. You hear it in the first episode too and you're like, you you are at the edge of your seat. You are so ready to fight with them, even if you are not one of the kids who have been um, indoctrinated with the like mecha, the mechas that is used in the universe. Well, what I was gonna say is, I think it's interesting because while Takanashi San has a very distinct sort of music style that he elicits and composes with, for I think what makes uh, Masaru Yokoyama so powerful is that he's sort of a chameleon, you know? Like when Yes, you- he's a chameleon because he can mimic almost any genre and bring it to life. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like, like Your Lie in April is more like classical music, yep. very typical stuff that you'd hear. You're like Flight of the Bumblebee and stuff sometimes in the background too. Um, but for Iron Blood Orphans, it sounds almost... Spanish like kind of like influence where it's like really spicy in the main theme so that's why you feel like this patriotic urge uh, combined with that that really fast tempo that he does it's really nice and then on the flip side you have Fate Apocrypha which is obviously from the Fate universe so everything's got to have a fantasy twist but because Fate Apocrypha takes place in uh the uh 
Middle East, and not Middle East, sorry, Eastern Europe, it has a bit of a Slavic vibe. And the tempo and the beats that are played in it doesn't sound like a typical Western Europe song. Mm-hmm. So it sounds very different. And I love how he draws from like different cultures and different genres in order to bring it to life into a series, even though none of it is his actual trademark. He's kind of like a jack of all trades in that sense. Yes, exactly. Because I was going to say, like, you wouldn't hear, you would not be able to tell that, you know, your line, April, Fruits Basket, Astro Lost in Space, and Sirius the Jaeger have the same composer. They are very different no, styles and yeah. fit to what they're trying to tell. Astro Lost in Space is very. It's, it does sound very spacey. I don't know how he did it, but it did sound very much like it's in space. And then you have Fruits Basket, which is uses a lot of piano. It's a lot more grounded. And piano tends to be associated with class, classicals and emotions, and especially emotions. So with Fruits Basket. And then, you know, you were talking about the European thing. Sirius the Jaeger very much takes place in sort of like the Russia, Ukraine, you know, sort of Slavic areas. And that's exactly mm. the type of music that was happening in Sirius the Jaeger, alongside with a bit of like airy, like chimes and stuff, sort of to imitate the supernatural side of things, because obviously Sirius the Jaeger involved vampires and stuff. So it, it's like, yeah, so it's like I picked two, but they're very different. One has a very distinct type of music they work with. You hear it and you kind of know that it's Takanashi-san because he's very good at that blending of rock with, you know, traditional music. And then we have um, and then we have Yokoyama-san, who is just everywhere. He can do all sorts of genres and all sorts of styles. And you would never know it's him because he's just so spread out. And it's really incredible. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry I sniped one from you. You know what? That's okay because it helps whittle down my list. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Well, unfortunately, you aren't next. So you still you still have some up for sniping because we always go in a circle. So, um, Isabel, I'm going to pass the baton to you now because I've said my two pieces. I It doesn't sound like I sniped any of yours. So I'm curious to hear, you know, who did you pick for your two? Yeah, well, we agreed on this beforehand, but I'm pretty sure I... I don't know if I picked one Magnus, we'll see. But the first one <laughs> first one we're gonna talk about, I feel like we could definitely do a whole podcast about him, is uh Hiroyuki Sawano. Mm-hmm. And there is no way you watch anime and you don't uh see one of his works or at least maybe even notice one of his songs. And I really yeah, every like if you ask me which composer I like, I would just straight up say Sawano because everything I listen to or ev- everything that I really love in terms of the soundtrack uh, would be from him, um, even if I haven't watched the anime, really. But yeah, he's definitely known for a lot of things, um, you know, airing the season's Attack on Titan. That's probably one of his um, biggest contributions. And um, also Mobile Suit Gundam, mm-hmm. along Classic, with yeah. Guilty Crown, Blue Exorcist. Oh. Guilty Crown was my intro mm-hmm. to Suwano. <laughs> oh, oh it is? Oh, that was my of, intro. Of course, of course. Guilty Crown's soundtrack was, yeah. <laughs> the plot sucked, but the music was gorgeous. Yeah. It was fantastic to hear. And then paired that up with Egoist is really nice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was your introduction. What was your introduction, Gracie, perhaps, to Suwano's work? The uh, first anime you noticed, maybe? Uh, so I would say Guilty Crown is probably my first time listening to his, but it's actually not my 
first time knowing his name. It's actually Recreators. I don't know if you guys. Oh, yeah, his Recreators is really good too. I like, so he's responsible for the opening theme song. And I was like, holy F, this theme song is so good. And it, it just blew my mind. And so that's when I first heard of him. But once I heard of him, I noticed him everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why. It's just so easy to notice his music. And I also kind of associate everything with space and mechas a little bit. When Mm. I see an anime like that, I'm kind of thinking, this has to be from Sawano, right? This is is the music from him, Um, which I see in 86. The second I started seeing 86, I'm like, oh, this is it. This is perfect, right? (laughs) So you (laughs) guessed it was him without even having to look it up. Right, yeah. So I just looked and I was like, this is it. I don't, yeah, I have no complaints there. So uh, it definitely highlights a lot mm-hmm. of experience with sci fi kind of music composition because he also worked on Aldeno Zero too. <gasps> You're right, right. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think he has a lot of experience uh, and knowing how to weave the tunes and the genre of space into his music and that's why it's so notable in his more mecha sci-fi type themed anime. oh my gosh because even recreators celestia who is like the first you know fictional character brought into quote-unquote real life her power thing is that she fights with the mecha so yeah huh i never even thought about like the genre (laughs) connection until now I feel like Gracie just had an epitome. I, I did. I, I did, actually. Because it's just something I never thought of. So, Yeah. Another thing that's special about Sawano is also his collaborations with voc- vocalists. Mm, yes. Mm. Yes. And in that series, he'll usually... His naming sense is also very interesting. That makes you curious, like when you look up the songs or maybe his tracks or maybe... Um, just what he's been working on altogether, but he usually labels it with like NZK, which I don't mm-hmm. really know what it means if, if it has any meaning. Oh, that's that's actually that his official sort of like band name. We found that out because of doing the anime trending awards and prepping his statement and stuff oh, like that. Okay, yeah, that's great. And then, uh, so yeah, so usually he would work with these vocalists, and he I feel like it's really great to see him work with them, and then they they're really they're. Their sound is great, and the Sawano on top of that just makes the whole soundtrack something worth listening to. Usually it's like an opening or ending, and like you said, for recreators, it'll be something like that where you can't stop listening to it. Um, They're just so addictive. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They are. Yeah, the soundtrack I found most addicting was definitely the whole set of Promare. (laughs) I think that's... (gasps) Oh, So good. I think my mic broke <laughs> when I screamed from there. <laughs> yeah, you guys really love that soundtrack. You guys really love that movie, though. Like, let's be honest here. <laughs> I had heard the sound, the I think the the opening soundtrack for it three weeks before we saw it at an, at Anime Expo, and for three weeks straight, that was the only song that I listened to, and I memorized the lyrics at that point. Wow. Before it was officially premiering in the U.S., <laughs> I was also kind of shocked myself. And that one had mechas too, right? Yes, it, it did yes, lots, lots of mechas. Okay, yes. I'm, I'm making that connection, guys. <laughs> I did have that epiphany. I never realized it. So I think 
what another interesting thing about Solano is that we shouldn't underestimate what he is capable of because a lot of his music sounds very electronic, which of course per- fits perfectly with sci-fi and stuff. But the big music in 86 that really reached people was the one without any sort of electronic sound. It's that lone piano. It, it always plays mm. in the most emotionally heavy moments in 86. I think it, I think that piano just, it's effing fantastic in the job it does into, especially a lot of times when the piano plays, there's no dialogue. It's just the characters moving. So the piano is telling the story alongside with the visual cues and it does such a fantastic job. It's insane. So, I mean, obviously he did win our anime training awards this year for 86 for composer, which by the way is a big deal because he has been nominated nine times now so it's, yeah. it's about time that he won something but yeah he's he's just a beast and a master and I I, I discovered him from recreators but ever since then I have never been able to escape him so <laughs> yeah that's the same here I first noticed him or noticed the soundtrack in Owari no Seraph <gasps> or Seraph of the End. I oh, forgot he did wow. that I forgot he did that <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the only one that's not really, you know, mecha. It has any mecha in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know. It was probably the ending theme song that's just kind of different. It was the male vocalist that he worked with, which usually I'm used to him working with female vocalists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was fairly different for me. But that became one of my favorite songs um, in anime or as an anime ending. So from that, I, I, I keep looking for more, honestly. <laughs> so... I always wondered if it was because he's loyal to Wit Studio since, you know, Wit Studio did Attack on Titan. He was with them for there. And then Oari No Seraph was Wit Studio's, like, second. I, I felt like they were trying to make it big, but it ended up not working sort of anime. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was yeah, my guess, right. though. <laughs> yeah, because I think he also worked on uh, Combinary, the Iron Fortress one yes. as well. Yes, yes, he did, yeah. So... Yeah, what do you think about the Attack on Titan in general? The soundtrack that he's, you know, behind most of the time. To me, I feel like he captures the emotion very well. I really like the energy, but maybe because of the theme and it feels a little eerie to me, the music itself, I don't like it as much. Really? (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I did like his Attack on Titan work. Granted, I stopped listening to it in the fourth season because I haven't really I didn't really watch the fourth season because I know it's going to happen a and I just I wasn't as interested in that part because I liked the season three arc the best even when I was reading the manga Mm -hmm. so so that's why I didn't listen to it but from my understanding from what people have been writing is that he's reusing a lot of tracks in the fourth season which I mean we already know that the fourth season has been having huge production issues because of the kind of um an inexcusable timeline they gave to the people and stuff but you know we're not experts so we're not going to talk on it there's plenty of sakuga people who you can look up to see like more detail in regards to in regards to the whole situation behind season four but i did think his music was effective and i did like it still so that was my opinion (laughs) but yeah those are my thoughts on sawano anyone else have any thoughts or can i move on to my second one I think you're ready to move on to your second one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. My, uh, my second one here would be uh, Shiro Sakisu. And 
he's mostly known for Bleach, so that's the only one I actually really <gasps> yes! know from him. So. My man, my man. Yes, give it to me. And Agnes's oh love-hate relationship with Bleach continues. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh my god. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel like you can't complain with the soundtrack for Bleach, though. He's definitely worked on other things, such as Moggy and Berserk, um, also uh, SS, SS Gridman and Dinozenon. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your favorite franchise. Yes. So the fact that I like these shows and the fact that I really like the soundtrack behind Bleach, I feel like it's kind of like a, it's kind of like how Gracie talked about Naruto and now we're talking about Bleach. Like, I cannot forget Bleach's soundtrack. And moving forward to what we're going to possibly see in, you know, the last arc here, I'm hoping he really comes back with new music. And um, I don't know, the Bleach soundtrack for, for me, it was, I say I don't like earring things from Sawano because of Attack on Titan, but I really like the eeriness that uh, Sagisu has in his works in Bleach. Mm. But maybe because it's just deeper and kind of, it sounds crazier with like the d- guitar riffs and just kind of like creating that space for the hollows and oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. darkness. Is what I think. Uh, I don't know. What did you think about like the soundtracks from Bleach or any of the? Did you really did one stick out to you at all? Oh man, it's so hard to say because you made a really great point about when you, the hollows show up. There's a there's a sound piece that plays that emulates the hollowness. It's like kind of an echo chamber kind yeah, of music okay, that's yeah. dark and deep, and it kind of reverberates reverberates in you as you watch the scene of like the hollow about to attack Ichigo, or the hollow is going to reveal some dark secret that it has. Um, but it's actually the not the scene that gets me the most. It's actually the Black Soul music that really gets me in Bleach. Oh, the Black Soul music. Okay. Yeah, it kind of brings in like that teen spirit kind of vibe. And I think it's really unique considering that Japan doesn't always have a very favorable outlook on people who are you know, black and or black influence, even though there is a significant amount of black influence in younger teens who do things like tanning or try to get like dreadlocks and stuff like that. But there's no real, I guess, like respect for mm-hmm. like the uh, like the African American, African. I think we can culture. all agree so. that Asia as a whole does not treat the Black Americans' culture very respectfully because they love hip hop, and then they do. They love yeah. hip hop, mm-hmm. and then they want their skin to be pale and white, and anyone with dark skin is considered ugly. So it's a this is a very complicated topic that, you know, I won't go into further, but just want to make that note real quick. So, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's really weird to see how in general Japanese media, regardless if it's anime, music or whatever, they kind of stereotype like Africans or people of black descent in that sort of manner, like rapping and stuff like that. But in Bleach... Uh, the composer just brings out like black soul music which is like super popular in the u.s like it's very hip-hoppy but it sounds like he put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and it changes a lot too uh throughout the first and second season of bleach and that's what i really liked about that and also i think the a lot of people in the west especially people who are maybe african uh, american descent really liked bleach too Mm -hmm. and that insert insertion of that music because it's something that they recognize and it's something that's so cool to see in an anime with you know a bunch of japanese teens fighting 
Yeah, it's interesting because obviously every work and every author has their flaws in regards to their views and perspectives. But alongside Bleach having a huge following amongst, you know, black Americans, I also know that a lot of Hispanic communities really, really loved Bleach with uh, you know the spadas yes, literally yeah. named you know what the spadas um, word the spadas music is like spanish themed too so that's like really nice. oh i did not yeah. know that it really fits the mood it fits the mood yeah yeah so i think tight kubo did a he definitely paid a lot of respect and homage to cultures that you know anime doesn't usually like to pay respect or you know pay attention as much to and integrate into the story so i think it's really fitting in that regard but you know i'm just listening to you guys because i didn't watch bleach i was one of the ones who did it so yeah <laughs> you have been spared of its legacy <laughs> remember that <laughs> is bleach the only music that he is particularly known for isabel i think you mentioned a few others right yes he's also known for his, mostly also for neon genesis evangelion oh, so that's a big okay. one unfortunately i haven't watched that series so I'm certain, you know, the fan base behind that can say more about that. Or I don't know if you guys have listened to any of those soundtracks, but that's the one that he's mostly known for. He's also behind, um, I think, Godzilla, the movie as well. So interesting. Yeah, he's definitely done some. I remember when I watched at least Berserk, I think that I really liked his the soundtracks there as well, kind of capturing when Guts is fighting whichever evil that he is um it's really captures like the darkness and eeriness of how he how he is as a character and then not only that the world around him uh so and then also in magi which i found interesting i can't really pinpoint a certain soundtrack from magi but he did also the kingdom of magic and the labyrinth of magic together for the tv series it's always interesting to share like what other pieces of music they've done for because it's it's kind of like when we first were discovering seiyus and their names were like oh he voiced them and him as well and mm. now it's like oh he did music for that, <laughs> that as well. that's kind of what i feel a like whole new world. <laughs> yes, a whole new world uh i did you said evangelion right he's responsible for the music for that yes okay mm -hmm. i watched evangelion and i think evangelion's music is stupendous so I, I give him a big thumbs up just for that on its own. <laughs> Alrighty, so it sounds like those are your two picks then. Is that correct, Isabel? Yep, that is right. Okay. But it sounds like I didn't take any from Agnes, so. Thank God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Share it now before it's too late. <laughs> uh, in that case, we're going to go off of um, Isabel's original recommendation for her composer that did bleach and going off of that i'm going to nominate nujabis who did the soundtrack for samurai shampoo oh oh that's an okay. old one okay yeah <laughs> it's an old one but it's so memorable when you when you watch anything samurai shampoo you know that nujabis is the one that did his work this work because it combines all the traditional edgy samurai elements with like this super great hip-hop beat that really fits with a lot of the the characters' personalities as renegades in this like traditional Edo period, where Mugen is you know this this brat from Okinawa who who does like a freestyle sword, Jin who is supposed to be like the very strict um, 
like samurai warrior sort of sort of thing, but he defied the odds by killing his master. And then you have um, our main girl who is kind of like look, going around trying to find her father and recover her memories. So it's just it just fits really well into that teen spirit and kind of like renegades in Japan not following the rules. And it has just an incredible beat, and it's so recognizable as Nujabas's work. Yeah, that is so interesting because I didn't watch Samurai Shampoo until recently, so I had known the music beforehand, like on mm, repeat on yeah. YouTube, and I feel like there's a certain th- that theme of hip hop, yeah, for that yeah. era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really well known to kind of mix. I think the term is R and B, right? That's the kind of hip hop that he was mixing into a lot of his works, and even some of his personal works that are all uploaded on YouTube. Um, because unfortunately, he passed away in 2014 oh, no. in a car accident. Yeah, yeah, he passed away in a car accident. And so anything that is Samurai Champloo is the last of his remaining works, including some of his more personalized stuff that has been uploaded on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Nujabas because I think he was really formative of my years when I was a student in middle school and high school and learning about anime and getting into like Samurai Champloo. And really drawing my respect on, oh, music is a super big, important thing on anime. And it's also an icebreaker point, too, because I'll be in college and I'll be vibing to do Nujabas. And some 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 of my friends who are non-anime watchers, they'll be like, you listen to Nujabas, that, that one-hour homework edit version no. of Nujabas' music on YouTube? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, hell yeah, I'm a fan of Nujabas, too. So it's a really nice icebreaker, too, without exposing yourself as an otaku. <laughs> Uh, so we were still closeted at that time, except for Isabel, who has no fear. So. <laughs> Isabel is someone to admire and be towards. No, don't be like me or Lucy. <laughs> I looked him up really quickly, and I do see his genres were lo-fi, jazz rap, breakbeat, down-tempo, and chill-hop, which, admittedly, I haven't really heard those except for lo-fi and jazz rap before, so... Definitely, like, chill step and stuff would come more in prominence, I think, after his death. Although, I don't know if he was responsible for giving birth to that genre. I do know that chill step does exist, and a lot of the other ones, too, if you look it up on YouTube. And they kind of have the same dating period Mm. as then. Yeah, like the early 2000s for that chill hop and trip hop things. Um, Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. trap. (laughs) Trap beat, yeah. (laughs) That's... So yeah, that type of music um, has changed throughout the years, obviously. Now we only kind of know as lo-fi and some other things, obviously, but sorry, Grace. Oh, no, I would say that's interesting because I think around that era, my English still hadn't reached another level yet. So fun fact for people, I didn't start off speaking English. I was completely fluent in Chinese and I learned English after I went to school. And so before... Up until my junior year of high school, I couldn't really understand lyrics in songs. Like when people sing, I genuinely could not understand how people were able to understand what the people were singing. I just thought they looked it up online. And I distinctly remember in junior high school, one day I turned on the radio and suddenly I could understand every single word a person was singing. But before that time in my life, I genuinely could not, I did did not know what the lyrics were just listening to the songs. And so because of that, I have a gap in, I have a gap of knowledge in 
pop culture for music because I didn't really understand a lot of the things alongside with it. So, yeah. So it was interesting hearing you guys talk about like what the genres were like back then and how it's shifted because I'm just so blank <laughs> in regards to that because I know so little. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess is Samurai Champloo the only anime music he's done out of curiosity? I think he's done maybe a couple others, but I don't know what he did exactly. Samurai Champloo is just the one that I remember mm -hmm. the most. Got it. Well, first of all, rest in peace for him. That is very sad that he lost his life to that. But, you know, he did get out a masterpiece. So that's a good news, if nothing else. So if that is your first pick that wasn't poached, who do you have left since I know I took one of yours? <laughs> <laughs> My second one would be Slavik Kowaleski, a Polish pianist who collaborated and was a co-composer for Idea. <gasps> okay. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to spotlight Slav uh, Slavik because of two things. The first one is how unique the soundtracks of ID Invaded are and how it really complements the story about diving into the subconsciousness and interpreting the subconsciousness as digitized particles. The first part of when you watch ID Invaded, there's a particular scene about particles where they kind of like descend into the well and there's like a piano that plays. It's like a really quick riff that plays as well. And it kind of paints like this very eerie, um, atmosphere of them entering this digitized world of the well and figuring out the psychopathic um, motives of each of the, I guess, mer serial killers that they encounter. And it's such an eerie and unique take that I've never seen in any other animes, even with animes that are focused on serial killers or focused more on a sci-fi aspect. It doesn't sound like something that we talk about with uh, Yokoyama, or it doesn't sound like something that we would see with Hiroki Sawano. It's just very distinct, and it sounds very different. It doesn't even sound like any general Japanese composer doing something for an anime either. So I wanted to point that out because it just really stood out to me when I was watching ID Invaded, and that's when I got really interested in this show. I was like, huh, it changes my entire mood of how I feel with this series and how I perceive what the well is for this for these characters and for the world. And then the second one that I want, the second reason that I also want to bring up for Slavek is the fact that he is a foreign composer. You know, all the composers so far that we've mentioned are Japanese or Japanese-born and right. therefore have a lot of recognition and a lot of... I guess, uh, trademarks that makes them who they are as composers. But Slavek is someone who is not Japanese or not even of Japanese ethnicity. And yet here he is collaborating with Japanese professionals to bring about a whole new genre and a whole new feel to what anime could be. And I really want to point that out because a lot of animes that we watch over the years, a lot of stuff can sound very generic and we can kind of at one point start predicting the beats but when you have somebody like Savlek who comes in and changes the entire score, it really brings something very original to the series itself, which is why it also drew me into ID Invaded. Slavek's work reminds me a lot of Kevin Penkin's work when he joined mm. Kim uh, Citrus. 
and changed what anime composing and scoring would be like as a foreigner who's bringing all these different ideas and genres. And then it also makes reminds me of the game of Death Stranding that came out a couple of years ago, where the main composer is also a non is non Japanese, is a foreigner, but he brings this sense of loneliness in the game that I cannot find in any other Japanese based video game either. So with the with Japan generally being quite foreigner, how would you say it? You're trying not um, to be I insulting, like I can tell. <laughs> yeah, well, the Japanese are, at least the Japanese government, because they're a bit more conservative, they tend to be a bit anti-foreigner. But these foreigners bring such great talent and such diversity into the media that Japan wants to put out into the world. Why not continue to employ that? And why not continue to enthralled their audience in such wonderful music mm-hmm. you know it could change everything so that's why i wanted to spotlight him because he did such great work on id invaded and i think more people should come to japan as foreigners both animators composers um and all sorts of fields just to help contribute to japan's growth in the entertainment mm-hmm. and media. i was going to say i i mean you already covered it in your thing but you know i was going to say like he's unique in the fact that he isn't japanese and you know, Japan isn't really known to employ non-Japanese, uh, you know, art artists or anything for these sort of things. But uh, the thing I was thinking about while you were saying that is the really wonderful thing about art and storytelling is, which includes music, of course, anything in the more artistic realms is that it doesn't really, you know, talent and hard work doesn't really discriminate in that regard. What is a good artist in the U.S. will likely still be extremely good at what they're doing working in another country and vice versa. And so I think, so I almost, for me at least, especially growing up bilingual, I do feel like music has always been the thing where boundaries can sort of disappear because you can still enjoy and appreciate the music if you don't understand the language. And we see that, you know, with how many people are into K-pop. And I know there was during uh, an era where, you know, a lot of people were really into Spanish music because we might not understand Mm -hmm. what they're saying, but we hear it and we know that it's important and it affects us in an emotional way. And I think, and I think music is very powerful in that regard. And in in the same way, like this is why we shouldn't hesitate from uh, having non-Japanese people work on these anime music because music is music. People are going to get affected by it if you're good at it and you understand what you are composing for which in uh, in Slavic's case, uh, he very much does. And I think ID Invade is the only anime he's worked on so far, right? Yes, from what I have seen, he has worked on some films. But other than that, yeah, th- I think this is his first anime. I, I What's funny is, I don't know if you remember this, Agnes, but so ID Invaded was nominated for best in soundtrack on our anime trendy awards and during the night of the live stream when you know it was happening we were doing all our own stuff me being a panic ball of panic because i <laughs> handle twitter and twitter has to move really fast and then the actual like social media thing does not work fast and i'm like going ah but when it was time for like the best soundtrack nominees and uh quack uh, our overlord was showing uh, each of the nominees and each of the nominees and like a bit of their music and stuff like that a little piece of id invaded played and i was like oh man agnes i forgot but his soundtrack is so good <laughs> so- 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember that moment. Yeah, that was a reaction I had, but it really is good. And I really enjoyed listening to it. And I don't know. It's like he's talented. And I hope like Kevin Penkin has definitely become a staple in the anime industry. So hopefully he does too. But obviously if he doesn't want to, you know, he's not <laughs> required to. But hopefully he is interested in doing more because he did a really good job with ID Invade. And I hope to hear him in more stuff. So I'm glad you pointed that out with him. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I hope he does more and I get to hear more of him because it sounds great. <laughs> he is, oh my gosh, he's he's quite the veteran actually. How old is he today? Um, well, no, I I was looking at his uh I was looking at his bio and yeah he's um he's forty three years old so wow he was in his forties when he first did the anime music that's really that's really fascinating uh because usually because usually they're a little mm. younger when they do their first anime music so oh he did the music for the last Naruto really. Movie. Oh, he's part of the music department. Yeah. Okay, so because I see, like, immigrating to Germany at the age of ten, he completed his musical education at the Conservatorium von Amsterdam, which is in Netherlands, in June two thousand six. He plays several other instruments. His musical artistic ranges reaches from pop with its newest electronic developments, punk rock, jazz, and Slavic folk music, up to a classical and symphonic works, especially for film and TV productions. After many successful performing experiences in wide parts of Europe and Asia, he established the new record label Power Records in Amsterdam. He's currently based in as a performer, producer, and composer in Tokyo, Japan. So I'm guessing we should be seeing more of him after this. Yeah, I would hope so. Unless he decide to go back to just composing for films. That's true. Do you think there's a difference between composing for films and anime? Aside from, you know, films are obviously shorter in length just because they're two hours or maybe a little more and then they're done versus anime, which is like series and seasons. I think there was a really good uh, Yuki Kaishida article uh, that we did to talk about sort of online the ordinal mm. scale movie that came out and you can kind of talks quite a bit in depth about the difference between composing for a tv series that airs weekly and seasonally versus composing for an actual movie that has uh scripts and scoreboards already uh laid out okay for so you. clearly i need to read the interview which by the way none of us mentioned her huh now that i think about it now that you no. know, I didn't. I didn't want to be too basic. Oh, I so. see. <laughs> well, you did pick two that in which they've only done one or two anime. So you know, if you're going for the hipster vibe, you certainly did. <laughs> yes, I am going for the hipster indie vibe. Thank you. I'm very actually <laughs> like that. Uh, but Yuki Kaiser is also amazing. The only thing I will note from her is because for the longest time. And even though I don't like the series anymore, I still hold on to it is, you know, just the Fate franchise. She's such a notable figure in that. And also Madoka Magica as well. So that's a shout out for our Yuki Kaijura fans out there. For she the also does a lot of traditional Japanese instruments too, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. She does, yeah. yeah, she did. Yeah. What did she, what did she do, Isabel? Sorry. Oh, no. I just remember I remember editing that article. So I just remember that she did traditional music as well. That's all I remember. Oh, the the ordinal scale article, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Her current ones that I her current one that I really like is not Demon Slayer. It's actually Vanitas because it has the gothic organ, piano, and like violin. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like yeah. salivating, <laughs> salivating at it because 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like at this point, Yuki Kaisha is just really good friends with Jun uh, Mochizuki. So she kind of like figures out like, okay, this is the kind of music that Jun Mochizuki wants. And it's usually very gothic because Pandora Hearts was like that too when she made- No way! She did that one too? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, she she made the soundtrack from that. And I think from her fame from Pandora Hearts is when she launched uh, Fiction Junction. And then later- Kazuki- Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, she certainly has the gothic music down, and I love it! I love oh, yeah. it! Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the whole gothic music with the, the choir in the back. Yeah, that's Fiction Junction right there, um, at least for Pandora Hearts. I'm not sure about... Oh, yeah, it, it has the choir because... as well, so... <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, actually, okay. it also has the choir in Demon Slayer, which, uh, you know, I I hear people already be like, why are you mentioning Demon Slayer? Because she did it. Yes, she did Demon Slayer. <laughs> And she also, she does that really creepy, yeah, like, sound in her soundtrack that, like, gets under my skin in a really good way, because it's associated yes, with demons. Yes, she's really, she's really good at creating an eerie atmosphere as well. I feel like a lot more strongly than some of the composers written here. She worked on Garden of Sinners, which is probably by far the creepiest entry that she has in all of her music career. Um, because the entire thing is about like serial killer murders. It's about a lot of like weird supernatural things. A lot of people dying, ghosts and spirits and stuff like that. Okay, I got it. I got it. Solano is the sci-fi side, and uh, and uh, Yuki Kajira <laughs> is the you know supernatural side. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then Masuru Yokoyama is just in the middle. Yeah, he's everywhere. <laughs> he's everywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have and then we have our you know shonen well i guess she's also shonen well okay anyway uh, we can count we don't have to categorize them but it was just something that came to me uh, all right so i think that sums up our you know composers that we wanted to bring a spotlight to are you guys satisfied got your ch- chance to speak <laughs> absolutely i'm so glad i got to spotlight yep. mine and even though you guys sniped some of mine you guys gave some really great counterpoints too especially for like Yokoyama that I didn't think about because I was just, just focused on like two specific animes for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this was a fun topic, but you know what's more fun is figuring out who invited tea time. <laughs> so Agnes, yeah. it is time for you to describe what happened next and you know what did the she wolf of, of France do? Reincarnated in real life, I guess. I don't know if she's reincarnated or not. So. <laughs> We shall see. So where we left left off for our viewers is I was at the Petit Palais Royal, which is a now converted museum that has a wonderful tea shop inside that you can actually go visit even under COVID right now. And while having tea with the Isabella, the she-wolf of France, a car literally rammed into the side of the museum and shattered like windows and disrupted a lot of the uh, the customers that were inside the tea shop. And as we're looking down from the second floor of the tea shop, we notice that a man steps out of the car and he says, it's you who has come. I don't remember who that phrase was intended to, but Isabella looks really pissed for some reason. She basically stalks down from the second landing, stalks and then like jumps down the second half without any like fear of, you know, landing and breaking a leg. And she... She yells out in pure fury. She says, how dare you impersonate my lineage, you rat. And her eyes are blazing and she's trying to stalk towards him like she's going to cuff him in the face. 
um, her entourage, so like the, the her servants and the butler that was tending to me earlier and gave me a flower, immediately jumped down from the second landing and they raise handguns in defense. Like they're about to shoot somebody. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Oh my gosh. But almost immediately as they click off the safety of their handguns, the car doors also burst open and several men and women in dark uh, dark suits also come out and also several French police cars like swarm up to the premises and they immediately come out of their cars and they train their own weapons onto us the entourage with semi-automatics and rifles and is a standstill it's Queen Isabella with her tiny little party of men and women holding handguns against literally the police armed forces of France behind this other guy there's only about maybe 10 or 20 feet that separate them. and Do you recognize the guy unquote, at all or no? I do, kind of. His stature looks very similar. Um, but he takes off his sunglasses that he was wearing earlier and he smirks at the chaos in front of him. And then when he starts to speak, I immediately recognize him as the he-wolf. Or I guess the 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 wolf prince that I had seen <gasps> had given me the bracelet. Oh. And he goes, impersonate. My dear, you've been dead for over 600 years. No one really cares what moniker you use. Besides, the wolf is such a dashing and fierce creature, isn't it? Perhaps a bit cunning, but beautiful nonetheless. And I recognize that his demeanor is so much more different than when I last met him. Here, he sounds very conniving, very snide, and very prideful, but also kind of gives you like antagonistic villain vibes. The butler that is standing Mm -hmm. behind Isabella the She-Wolf with his handgun drawn scowls at him. And he says, We should have known that you would come back from the grave, Monsieur Dispenser. You were always a little bit too greedy for the Queen's power and would go after the twelve stones of peerage. That fanatic cult had the audacity to revive you from the dead. And I'm like, "What, what cult is he talking about? And then I remember... The cult that he's probably talking about is the cult from the catacombs that I had seen earlier in my friend's trip. And I'm like, wait a second. And all these weird dots are connecting together. But And I'm totally zoned out of this conversation as they continue to speak. Um, and then at one point, while kind of like ruminating over that, I remember what why Dispenser, the name, sounds so familiar. And I'm like, Dispenser as a name sounds really weird, especially in the English tongue, right? It turns out that Dispenser is Hugh D- Dispenser the Younger, a royal chamberlain who was the royal favorite of Edward II of England. And Edward II of England was actually Isabella's former husband. And as I remember this information from after I did a tour of the museum in the in the Louvre a little while back, um, it the long story short is that Dispenser and Isabella had a lot of spats and they waged a lot of wars between each other. So this is like a showdown between the two of them and it's kind of crazy. Mm. And long story short, after he was captured, he would later be tied for treason, hanged, drawn, and quartered. Oh, yeah. She hated so was, him historically. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm surprised that you know about him, Gracie. I learned from him from a nifty website called Rejected Princesses. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That that probably makes a little bit more sense. Uh based on after I finished this story, why you would see him mentioned on a website called Rejected Princes and Princesses. Um, and so Dispenser is kind of snorting at um, the butler's accusations and his voice starts to drip with venom. And he says, 
Oh, don't be so hasty, Mortimer. I haven't forgotten about you since your death would finally put my grandfather and my ancestors to rest. But you're at the bottom of the to-do list, unfortunately. And for context, apparently, Mortimer's grandfather, or the butler, um, of Isabella the She-Wolf, his grandfather had supposedly killed Dispenser's grandfather in a previous timeline somewhere. So this is like a lot of weird like family ties coming into this that I'm like, how am I involved in any of this? This is so weird. But anyway, Isabella growls and she says, clearly all you're just here for is petty revenge. Acquiring the Stone of Peerages will not bring you power. It will only bring you suffering. And then he laughs crudely and says, will it? Or are you just listening to your bedtime stories of Eld and parroting everything your ancestors have told you? How pathetic. And then suddenly he's his gaze finds mine and I'm still standing on the second floor just looking down at this chaos that is down in the streets. And he smirks again and it feels dangerous. Not the kind of dangerous where you feel like, oh, I'm going to fall in love with a bad boy, but like bone chilling danger. <laughs> I heard that snort. Crazy. I'm sorry, I couldn't help but, myself. <laughs> but actual bone chilling um creepiness that I want to leave the scene ASAP like I feel like my life is in danger at this point and he says the petite etoile here is the key to finding the stones but will she willingly join your side after learning that all she's done to us to me and to France and as he says that the sky starts to darken just a little bit even though it's in the middle of the afternoon and I watch in horror as his body begins to shift and blood begins to drip from his mouth. His eyes begin to rot and blacken as if it's decaying. And then the front of his suit that he's wearing starts to also decay. And then it spills out as organs and intestines also like flow out into the streets. The police cops that he's with and some of the men and women that are in suits with him also start bleeding as if they are like Whoa. zombies that are not from this world. And he, and then the last thing he says is, do you see the horrors she did? How she did? this kingdom to hell and back do you want to protect the peerage stones because someone like her wants to be lauded and remembered do you and then we'll end that for today because we're out of time whoa <laughs> yeah it's it was pretty intense i was like trying well while trying to recall all of this i was kind of even shooken up because of how visceral a lot of this imagery was as i'm just you know coming out of a tea party and looking to see like this man now bleeding his guts out on the so streets. you gotta choose you gotta choose who to side yeah with. i have to choose sides now yeah <laughs> this is starting to sound like an ultimate game <laughs> but not so much I, I, I don't i don't think i don't think it's any more of an ultimate game it's more of a life <laughs> death situation i don't even know what these peerage stones are that they're talking about but it sounds really important you are that middle person who just got caught in between you're just like i want to go home <laughs> yeah for sure absolutely <laughs> all right well i hope everyone enjoyed uh you know agnes's continuing thing i'm curious to hear if you guys have a particular side you want to enjoy i'm with isabella she france by the way that's my pick just historically speaking so um <laughs> uh, but i hope everyone also enjoyed our talk about our favorite soundtrack composers and giving spotlights for that and most importantly i hope you will be with us next time bye everyone Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.